0: Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face Cast: Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Danny, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at In Your Face Lacks for more information. Enjoy the show. Holy Shot Towers. Villanova wins the national championship (laughs) off a Chris Jenkins buzzer beater last night. The Cats cut down the nets for the first time in 31 years. 1985 being the last time they won it all. Between Marcus Pages, game-tying three ball with 4.7 seconds left to go, uh, to Chris Jenkins ending it all. This might be the greatest basketball game in the history of the sport of basketball,
1: I think. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got – listen, that th- that was unbelievable. I remember in 1985, Harold Johnson from Trumbull, Connecticut. I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, you know, hit a – whatever it was, a, a, a 12-foot shot from the baseline, and they ended up winning, you know, beating Georgetown, who many people thought was arguably the best college hoop team of all time or, or one of them. This game last night, I could not believe it. It was
0: incredible. Uh,
1: you know, as great a shot as Chris Jenkins' three was to win it, Marcus Page's it was ridiculous. three to tie it was even more ridiculous. It was. It was. You know, I mean, how many people can actually say they did something that would take Michael Jordan out of his chair and have him jumping up and down right. and raising his arms? Right. That was incredible. Uh, it was. Uh, and just so good to see. Villanova and Jay Wright. Just the way that Jay Wright handled it at the end made you so happy that Villanova won. Right. I don't know what it is. I don't really. I'm not a huge fan of Roy Williams. Uh, I just don't. I don't know. I just, I, you know. I just feel like obviously they got unbelievable hoop tradition down there, but I just felt like. This was a victory for America.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> You know it was coming, but all the uh all the crying Jordan memes uh were ridiculous last night. I mean, I can't can they finally put the crying meme the Jordan meme away forever now that you know the officially worst situation that ever happened to North Carolina happened last night. And I just hope they retire it. It's just it gets old. Um, but you know it's going to continue to happen. But wow, what a game. I mean, on a Monday night, um, obviously the city of Philadelphia. Did you see all the videos of all the celebrations in the bars and the pavilion? Uh, It gives you chills when you see everyone's hand go up right before he shoots it. And then the whole mass hysteria afterwards. uh, It was incredible. So hopefully you got to see that last night. That was definitely history. Um, I'm not so sure that we'll ever get a game like that ever again but it could be beaten let's face it chris jenkins three ball to win it was a freebie it was a freebie if he missed it they were going to ot so there was no real pressure other than marcus pages to tie the damn game he had to tie it in order for him to win it um but it could be beaten in the future uh buzzer beater to actually win the game and if he didn't hit it they lose i mean that's the all-time i think biggest shot but until then this, I think, is the biggest shot in college basketball. That was a lot of fun last night. Now on to lacrosse news. Um, a pretty low moment in lacrosse. Head coach Chris Bates from Princeton was caught on video throwing an elbow at a brown, at a brown player, running off the field to the substitution box. The video was not good, A.T. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, and Princeton has placed Chris Bates on administrative leave. As a former Division One head coach, what do you think was going on in his mind at that moment, and you gotta you gotta figure it was a snap like you know temporary insanity that he went through in his head you know what what were your thoughts
1: uh you know my my immediate thoughts are just knowing number one knowing chris Bates uh you know there's no doubt in my mind that this was something that you know at the very worst was A lapse of judgment for a moment, right? And you know, I think at the very best, and this is what I think personally that it's closer to, is that you know, look, he he was on the field, he was coaching his guys. You know, Brown scores. I think he, you know, sort of lost track where he was. Let's face it, everybody who's coaching is on the field, and they and they don't realize it. You know, think about how many times you've been coaching, and the ref has said, you know, step back, get off the field. You know, a ton of times, right? And you know, I frankly believe that, um, you know, that it very well could have been him coaching his guys, sort of losing track to where he was, and the next thing he knows, like, somebody is right on top of him, which is the Brown player just going to the box innocently, and it, it it spooked him, and his chain reaction was to put up his elbow. Now, the reality is it's probably somewhere in between right. both of those two extremes. Right. But knowing Chris Bates and the type of man that he is, you know, this is... This is Where are all the other acts that are like this that he's done in the past that would make us look at this and say, oh, well, he definitely was trying to. I mean, you got these tools on lax power talking about this was an attack. and You should be, you know, uh, the police should come to the field. I mean, (laughs) settle down dude. go. These are the same toolboxes that, you know, go and sue. The paper boy, because, you know, he he didn't put the paper on their front porch like he was supposed to, so they're going to go sue him and settle down. Right, I right. I mean, I've, I've, I've greeted my friends in the bar, you know, a lot harder with an elbow <laughs> to the chest than Chris Bates did, the number 75 from Brown. You know, right. come on.
0: It is, come it on. is. He's, he's getting screwed. He, he is going to, he, he's, you know, I mean, it, it was... It, it, it looks bad it, it it looks bad and there's it looks bad it's, i agree it's, it's, it's it looks not bad. uh it's really tough and obviously i love chris Bates uh he's a dartmouth guy i really do like him uh, i think he's a great coach i think he does a great job with his program i believe in what he does but it's just a sad situation let's 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 move on to you know the worst case scenario a t The worst case scenario is that arguments can be made that this might be it for Bates and his tenure at Princeton. Uh, And if it is, and Princeton will be a huge job opening. On top of that, the next conversation we're going to have is just purely who are the next guys to fill jobs, period, Uh, whether Princeton opens up or not. Um, So let's take a few minutes, AT, and let's talk about some of the more big or the biggest candidates for the next open job. Uh, So let's talk about assistant coaches. Uh, We talked off-air, AT, uh, about some of the assistant coaches that we thought of. Who would be your first candidate as an assistant coach to take that job?
1: To take that job? Or
0: take the next big job. You have an Ivy League school versus a scholarship school. So there are definitely better fits.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's no question that there are specific characteristics based on where the opening is with certain coaches being a better fit for certain places depending upon what their respective background is academically, uh, where they played, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, let me just say before we get into this that I think that Princeton would be making a huge mistake if they decide to let Chris Bates go based on this situation. I think that would be a a major, major cop-out to me. Right. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that it doesn't happen. Um, but you know, if, if we're talking about the Princeton job specifically, I think you have to look at guys that have, uh, you know, an appreciation for the importance, the primary importance of academics, you know, it, 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 number one, I think that's the number one thing you have to look at. So if we're looking at, you know, obvious assistant coaches that sort of have that type of background that you'd look for, you know, I think. Certainly, um, you know, Jerry Byrne, just based on his body of work doing it at Notre Dame, he's built, you know, what many would consider to be the premier defensive team in the country year in, year out um, at a great academic school that that doesn't sacrifice standards to get people into school, so he would be somebody that... You know, would be uh, right at the top of the list. Does he?
0: Does um, he take the job? We've known you and I have known he's
1: turned down several big time jobs. I don't think he takes a job. I mean, look, if he's if he's not, I know he I believe that he interviewed at Harvard, got offered the job and turned it down. I can't remember for sure if that's true or not, but I, I'm pretty sure that that is true. And if he didn't take that job, uh, is Princeton any more appealing than Harvard? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see Bernsey leaving Notre Dame. Um, you know, unless he could get uh, an ACC job, I, I. I just. I just. I just don't see that happening. Right. Um, right. You know. So I don't see that. But I think. You know. You look at other obvious candidates. Certainly, Ronnie Caputo at Duke, yep. recruiting great student athletes down to a program that's won. You know, national championships while he's been on staff there. I think he's another obvious candidate that you would have to look at. Um, you know, Billy Dwan, who's been on Hopkins for, I think 16, 16 years, years which yeah. is incredible. Is. Uh, you know, he, he would be kind of a no brainer as well. Um, and then, you know, certainly, you know, Metsy, but I think Metsy when he turned that job down before, um, Batesy took it, I think that, I don't, I don't think he has interest in, in, in that. Right. Um, and so I don't I don't see I don't see him having interest, but certainly he would be a guy that you'd want to look at immediately. You could also you um, could also then, assume
0: that Metz Bauer uh, is looking at Schilling Law being like Schilling Law is at the end of his tenure. you got to figure. I mean, he's not going to coach forever at Delaware. Uh, Metz Bauer being the Delaware grad, you know, UNC being a nice step for him before he. I would argue that he should be the front-runner for Delaware. They should actually already have an open uh, open offer to him. I would
1: argue, I would argue that Metzi should be the front-runner for That's everywhere. That's
0: <laughs> Six national championships you know, but, will but, do that, yes. But
1: I'm not positive that he's dying for all of the headaches that come along with being a head coach. I mean, the guy's got six national championship rings, and my hope is that he gets a few more at UNC um and i believe that he will you know whether that's this year or in years to come you know that's still to be determined but he certainly would be a guy that you know uh would would be anybody would be uh drooling to get a guy like that with his resume and and just the way he is i think in the league you have to look at um certainly graham Neme. he's been at yale for you know since andy shea's been there and all they've done is win 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 especially lately um i'm not positive he wants to leave connecticut but for the head coaching job at princeton um you know that that certainly would be a guy that i would want to reach out and speak to um you know uh ben deluca is another obvious candidate at harvard this year having been the head coach at cornell regarded as one of the best head coaches in the sport as as recently as you know four years ago he certainly didn't become Right, (laughs) unqualified (laughs) during his uh, national championship experience at Duke, and you know being back in the league at Harvard, I could see Ben DeLuca as somebody that they should absolutely be speaking with. I got, I think he got completely screwed at Cornell you know, being a guy that was an alum who was an assistant coach and, and a head coach. Um, you know, I think he just got completely hosed with that situation. Does, does, uh, does, so does that's a guy I would be does looking a, at. Does a go go place like
0: Princeton, because of the unfortunate stories coming out of Cornell, avoid DeLuca, even though I would consider him probably the front runner, given his head coach experience, given everything he's done in his career, do they avoid that given obviously Bates's scenario? Um, to more, or a different route? Do they do they avoid that? I mean, it's 2016, and you have to like it, it's so brutal that these administrations avoid certain things because they don't have the full story. They just avoid it totally. Well,
1: and, that, and that's that's the key. They don't have the full story. Right. You know, they they clearly, while they're the decision makers and they think they know everything, right. the reality is they don't have the information that everybody in the sport has. Right. And I'm not positive that they here to do the due diligence as you know as as uh as aggressively as they may for a basketball or football coach correct which let's face it are more uh high profile sports so i think that if they didn't look at ben deluca or they stayed away crazy then that would be their mistake. Right. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me to see them stay right. away. Right. <laughs> because because they're that ignorant about it. You know, that guy, Ben DeLuca, he is a winner, and Princeton would be in phenomenal hands if they hired him. Um, then I think you've got to look at, you know, uh, Kevin Connery at Maryland. All he's done is help that program solidify itself as a top-two team in the country the last few years. Yep and has done an incredible job down there, filling in for Kevin Warren after he left to take over Georgetown. So th- th- those would be the guys, you know, Brownie, Burnsy, Ronnie Caputo, Matt Brown, Indian you Hopkins, missed, yeah, Betsy. you missed
0: Matt Brown. I mean, Matt Brown's got to obviously be one of those guys. I mean, what he's done with, and certainly the connection Bill Tierney uh, at being a Princeton to Princeton guy. Um, and then, you know, Conry also served at Harvard with Tillman. Um, so he's got Ivy yeah. league experience. So I, I agree with you. That list is a good list if it's Princeton. Uh, one of the guys I think you missed out uh, on was, uh, if you're looking inside the league, AT, is, is Pat Myers at UPenn. Uh, I mentioned him because of Penn's uh, success both in the recruiting world uh, in addition to uh, what Penn's done so far. Uh, and if they continue on the winning track, I think Pat Myers, um, as we know, has also been involved in other head coaching opportunities and interviews. Um, it would be interesting to see if they would also reach out to him. So it's a pretty decent list that you have there, AT, uh, DeLuca, Brownie, Caputo, uh, Billy Dewan, Kevin Connery, Jerry Byrne, uh, Nimi, Metzbauer, and then obviously I brought up uh, uh, Pat Myers from UPenn. So let's look at head coaches that would be, should be the first people to call Princeton is a big job, as will other uh, head coaching jobs open up at the end of this year. It happens every single year. Uh, in my mind, four coaches – the first four that you know you have to look at are the four coaches that have taken their team um, from nothing, almost club status, to powerhouses and uh, teams that you're immediately uh, scared of in the first couple years of their program history. And you've got to go with the four brand new programs in BU, High Point, Marquette, and Richmond. And those head coaches, Ryan Polley, John Torpy, uh, Joe Amplo, and Dan Shumati. And if you're, a, if you're an administrator uh, with an opening as a head coach at your program, uh, you have to look at those four guys as someone who – or as guys and coaches that will help start a brand-new program um, but also help start a program that's been around for a long time that you're looking to take in a different direction.
1: Uh, what do you think? Uh, I agree 100%. I think those four guys have really done an incredible job, um, you know, creating programs out of nothing uh but a guy that i would also put in that group which i think has done uh, every bit as well as these guys with perhaps an even harder job and that's creating a winning program from a losing culture and a losing program is taylor ray you know you look at what he's done at St. Joe's he basically yeah. took a program that was a joke and he's turned it into a team that scares the hell out of people um so i think you absolutely would have yep. to look at you know him as well in that group he's just proved that he's that he can do it <laughs> you know that's what he's done so i would i would throw him into that mix as well
0: uh if if you want to go in another direction in the same similar um, you know, category is what you just said, taking a program uh, that really was in the dumps uh, to a program that is now nationally ranked, nine and two on the year, uh, Air Force in Eric Saramet And what he's done uh, and the situation he's done it under, um, you know, certainly taking a team uh, with the recruiting limitations that Air Force has uh, in addition to its location around the country. Um, and, you know, certainly it's easy, you know, Air Force is one of the best institutions in the world academically, but uh, it's not exactly in our time of age. It's not exactly the most desired thing to do is is go on to a military academy uh, with all that's going on in the world right now. But Eric Saramet has done an incredible job. He's competed on the early recruiting front, uh, which has shown that for him is very successful. Uh, but I would put Eric Saramet in that uh, category as well with Taylor Ray. I think that's a good one.
1: No, no question about it. He's done an incredible job, and certainly, uh, his hard work and patience over the last uh, few years are paying off this year with the uh, with the season that they're having in 2016. I think they're scaring people as well. It's not a team that you want to see, you know, with uh, how hard they compete, and uh, it's great to see it. Um, you know, he 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 clearly. I don't know if he's looking, but he clearly would be somebody that you have to look at as a proven commodity in his ability to take a program and, you know, turn it into a very, very serious contender.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Another guy I thought of uh, when I was thinking this, uh, Sean Nettle. Sean Nettle at Towson, um, you know, taking what, you know, Tony Seaman has done at Towson uh, to another level, Uh, certainly working on the defense, being able to recruit. Um, He's also, um, I'm pretty sure he... Towers, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm very sure he actually served under uh Bill Tierney at Princeton uh during his time there as a second assistant. And uh what a what a job he'd talk about uh representing uh your country on the world stage. He's been an all-world defender uh for numerous uh world teams. Uh a great player, obviously turned himself into a great coach. Uh so you got to think Sean Nadalin as a guy uh, who 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 would be a front runner For any job out there in the country uh, Again uh, as we all Mentioned if a head coach wants to leave But you got to figure a program Like Princeton is certainly a desirable Place to be um, Or any other program In the Princeton world is a desirable Place to be uh, but I would put uh, Sean Natalin up there As another guy uh, the last guy I would suggest um, Is Brian Volker and, you know, certainly his experience at UPenn, doing what he's done at UPenn, certainly what he's done at Drexel, uh, it's not too far of a move for him if he decides he this is what he would like to do and to take on a program like that. Uh, Brian Volker has, has Ivy League ties. Um, he's done a great job at Drexel. He went to the quarterfinals a few years ago. Uh, he does a great job in recruiting. Uh, he's also done it in the late aspects of the recruiting. He doesn't like early recruiting. Um, he's outspoken about it, but a guy like him who goes into Princeton, um, you know, you can do a little bit of both. You can get on the early side if you choose to do so, but you can certainly recruit late and you got to figure with the weight of a school like Princeton, um, has a lot of weight late in the recruiting process to be able to turn some heads and turn some big time recruits their way. So, uh, Brian Volker would become, I would think a front runner for any job out there in the country, given his, uh,
1: background. I agree. I mean, Brian Volker would be the top of the list if if I was hiring for, you know, that job. Um, you know, I think that as an outspoken advocate for slowing down the recruiting process, you take a guy like Brian Volker with his approach, his ability to evaluate, and I think that would be the worst nightmare for the ACC and scholarship schools that offer these kids really really early in the process because if he was able to sell a school like Princeton later in the process what the, he would essentially do is he would just end up taking the best of the best of those kids that academically could qualify for for Princeton's admission right. standards late in the process and that would leave some gaping holes in some recruiting classes of schools in the acc and and in some of these other powerhouse programs that recruit very early so you know frankly (laughs) frankly it'd be fun to see and i think that uh i think it would be a a dream scenario so we're going
0: to take a quick break here we're going to come back with the games of the week this past week we're going to talk about duke unc yale penn marquette villanova rutgers hopkins Pay Ohio State, and then the Richmond-UVA game. We'll be right back. Games of the week. It's amazing how fast the media wants to put an ACC team back into the number one spot for the polls. But the game Friday night uh, was a pretty incredible game. Uh, Duke versus UNC. I watched the second half of this one. Um, and there was zero defense being played, right. and basically everyone on both off uh, both offenses were was in the scoring column. Miles Jones five and six in the loss had his best game of his career. Bruckner and Gutterding combined for seven goals, but it wasn't enough. Steve Pontrella was the MVP uh, for UNC with six goals on the night. At what did you think of this one? Uh,
1: incredible, you know, incredible. I, I it just it was so much fun to watch it go back and forth in Miles Jones you know, showed why, he, why he's the most dynamic player in the country. I don't think he's the best. I think Dome Malloy's the best player in the country. But Miles Jones showed why he, uh, you know, gets the juice that he does in the media. Six and five from the midfield was just right. unreal. Uh, I'm not positive Steve Pontrello was the MVP of this game, right? I, I Well, certainly six and zero oh is huge. Um, you know, but I look at Stephen Kelly going 20 for 35 from the X. And while that you know, isn't a dominating performance statistically. If you watch the game, you could see that a lot of Stephen Kelly's wins were after he lost the move at the X, and he was able to scrap back and get these ground balls that, you know, he didn't dictate where they were going, but just him along with obviously his wings, you know, to end up with, Winning the majority of the draws in such a high scoring game. Thirty-five draws he took, he won twenty of them. And it seemed at least like down the stretch of the second half that he was losing it at the X and then fighting to get himself in a position and ultimately Carolina was winning those ground balls and ended up winning, you know, an overtime game against, you know, their biggest rival. Uh, right. You know, the stat that kind of jumped out at me was, you know, Carolina scored 17 goals, but they only had six assists in the game, and four of them, you know, were from usually their biggest goal scorer. Um, you know, so that that kind of shocked me. You look at them you know, splitting time in the cage with Balkum and Reeder and, you know, Reeder playing the second half. I, I think I think they're either going to continue to do this or this ends up being Reeder's position moving ahead. You know, we were all down on Carolina. You know, after the start of their season, but look, they're one and zero in the ACC. They've got, you know, certainly we would all agree that Notre Dame is is appears to be the best team in the ACC. But I think we all would have felt a few weeks ago that it was clearly UNC and and Virginia playing it out for the rock bottom ball in the ACC. (laughs) But now with this win over Duke, you got Duke stumbling, UVA is stumbling. And Syracuse is really stumbling. Uh, right. So, so, you know, I think that Carolina is starting to hit their stride at, at a great time if they can, you know, continue to improve from this point on. But this was a huge win for the Heels. And frankly, I'm really, really glad to see it.
0: Duke's schedule coming up. They've got Notre Dame, UVA, Marquette, and BU. Uh, UNC has only ACC opponents coming up. And then obviously they all have – um the ACC tournament um at the end of the season at the end of April uh but UNC has UVA Syracuse Notre Dame in that order uh, if you if you're looking at this schedule for UNC and you could choose three games to finish with in the order to finish with it this would be it it would be I want to play Virginia then I want to play Syracuse yeah. and then go big time against Notre right. Dame at the end of the season. You really couldn't have played out a better year uh, for UNC to hit their stride, especially getting a big win over Duke uh, in the first game of the ACC season for them. Uh, so this is this is a big one for them. Moving on to yale Penn. Yale has a huge fourth quarter, scoring four times to get it to OT. Ben Reeves, the sophomore, arguably first-time All-American, held without a goal through four quarters, buries the game-winning goal in OT to keep the Bulldogs undefeated. My concerns, Yale, 19-24 clearing, 17 turnovers. Phil Hufford was 33% in the net, and the biggest of all stats, not that those can't be fixed, because they are. Phil Hufford has proved that he can play pretty well in the cage, so he had a bad day. You know, in general, the turnovers are are a lot for Yale. But this is the biggest stat that's going to hurt them playing big-time teams. Seven for 25 in the face-off department. This is alarming if you if you want to beat teams like Brown, which is coming up in a couple weeks, uh, and eventually teams like Denver, Syracuse, Duke, with their big-time face-off units. And now I guess you can throw in UNC, too, if they're going to get there eventually as well. Yale does not look like they can contend in that department, and it's really going to hurt them coming as the season gets along. Uh, what did you think on this one?
1: I, I agree hundred percent. I, I, you know, I was uh, not surprised at all to see Penn put a great performance on the field. you know I think yeah. that Mike Murphy and his staff you know are not going to get outworked as it relates to game prep, and clearly their performance on this day reflects that. Yep. Uh, Andy Shea just seems to win one goal games you know he just he just has a knack for getting it done and while right. they slipped by princeton you know last week and they slipped by penn this week you got to wonder you know when that's going to catch up with them and i think you've identified the area that will be why these teams you know, or end, uh, end up beating Yale. And I think that Penn has been one of the worst teams in the nation at the X. And for them to come out and go 18 for 25 against Yale, who's been winning, you know, 50%, 55%, whatever it may be. I know they've got some good guys, maybe not unbelievably dominating, but some good guys. Certainly we all expected Yale to control the X in this game and, you know, and and win the game. And Penn's success there allowed them – to control most of the game, but right. sure enough, Yale found a way to get it done down the stretch, and that is, you know, a very positive reflection on Andy Shea and his staff and and what they've been able to do. And um, but but let's remember, Penn is extremely young. I, I I I you know, outside of like NJIT, who starts all freshmen and sophomores because they've only been a varsity right. program for two years, Penn may be the youngest team in the country based on. Who plays on game day for them? You right. know they got a, a, a senior in Nick Doctor, who's you know obviously their leading scorer and their and their you know quarterback. But their next five or six players are freshmen and sophomores, and that's right. on the offensive end. Then you go on the defensive end; they've got two of the best polls Junkin is just a freshman. Yep. Uh, you know Penn's day is coming. It it might not be this year, although I do think that they are the team that ends up as uh, you know the fourth team in the Ivy League tournament. Um, but it 's coming and 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 I think that we 're going to see one more year of of Brown and Yale, and then I think I can see Penn in two years you know be in a position where they 're going to be you know fighting to be the best team in the ivy league it wouldn 't surprise me, uh, but right. I think you 've identified that that certainly uh, the Achilles heel for Yale is face offs, and I would say even beyond that, I know Phil Hufford is a great goalie. At least he was great when he was at Darien High School, but statistically he hasn't played that great this year. You know, Yale's defense is great, yep, but statistically their goaltending has not has not been you know that great. Um, and and so is is Yale's defense going to be enough to carry them to the Ivy League title? You know, you can only hope not as a Brown yep. fan. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but but certainly credit Andy Shea and his staff for finding a way to get it done again uh, with a great one-goal one, bo- one goal overtime win after coming back, being down 9-4. Really impressive. So, uh, just like UNC,
0: you have to figure Yale has the best schedule uh, coming up before they play Brown. They've got Sacred Heart, and they have Dartmouth. Yeah. Um, so, this should be a nice schedule before they, you know, the biggest game of the year, Yale-Brown. Arguably two undefeated teams. you got to figure that's going to be the case going into this. Uh, But it'll be a nice uh, way for Yale to get their confidence back up um, going into that Brown game. Moving on to Marquette versus Villanova. After Villanova gets their doors blown off, a huge implosion in Philadelphia. They go out to Wisconsin, and they implode again. Cole Blazer for Marquette was 81% in the net. 13 Mm -hmm. saves. Zach Melillo, the transfer from New Jersey Tech for Marquette, was 12 of 17 of the faceoff x. acts. Paul Modesto has become almost obsolete at this point. Jacob Fercaro was held to one assist. I mean, this is not voting well for uh, Villanova, and certainly Marquette is on the up and up, but I don't think Marquette you know, has a schedule to determine whether or not they're you know, worthy of the ranking they have. Uh, however, they have noted Dame. They have Duke, Denver, all coming up. So let's not get excited too much about the Golden Eagles, but uh, what did you think of this one?
1: Well, I, I, you know, a rough week for Villanova. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were six in the country going into the Brown game, and we all felt like, you know, they were, uh, you know, gonna be a very formidable opponent for brown you went down to that game it was 11 to 1 at halftime just brutal i mean that's just brutal and then for marquette to come back and beat them 11 to 3 and jake for getting you know shut down in both games you know this is uh this has got to be disappointing for villanova who this this their fall this week kind of reminds me of that presidential candidate James (laughs) James <laughs> Edwards. Is that his name? James Edwards? John John Edwards. John, John, Edwards. Edwards. Roll, John Edwards. What a role model he was when he had the week <laughs> where he was all of a sudden, you know, this guy that was, you know, going to be the next president of the United States. And then we find out that he's having an affair with, you know. Riley, whoever her name was, (laughs) (laughs) and having $300 haircuts and his wife was, you know, on her deathbed with cancer and, you know, uh, maybe the fall wasn't quite as aggressive, but (laughs) (laughs) this was a tough week for Villanova, no question. So, Jake
0: Ricciaro right now is averaging 13 shots a game, and after the Villanova-Brown game, I'm watching the game and I saw Villanova play against Harvard. Uh, and he had, I think, 18 shots against Harvard. Villanova has a very good offensive system. Simon Connor does a great job. Yep, but the he thing does. Is, is, there's no system right now with Cairo in in their offense. I mean, he's literally taking a shot every three and a half seconds in the offense. And now, I'm not saying don't give him the ball. I mean, he's a first team All-American. Watching him play is a lot of fun. And if you're a coach or you're a kid and you have the ability to go to a Villanova game and see Jake Carroll play, you got to. He's got every skill set known to mankind. He's awesome to watch. But the thing is, I feel like they can do a better job of toning down as many shots as he gets and generating the shot that you know he's going to bury every time. And I feel like they're getting away with it um, or or they're getting out of their system to let Jake be who Jake is. But he's not 13 shots a game. He's he's not necessarily doing it anymore. And as they continue to play better and better teams, they're going to start putting a lot more pressure on him. He's taking not good shots right now. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe Villanova, you know, brings it back in, allows the offense to do what it does, which is break down defenses and put Ficcaro in the position to end every possession yeah. with a high-quality
1: opportunity. They, they got they got, to, they got to figure out a way to take, you know, Jake Fercaro and stick him within a team scheme and have him complement the scheme. You know, right, right now he's, he's, he's taking more shots – than Randall Tex Cobb took in the Larry Holmes fight in the late eighties, you know. And Randall Tex Cobb w- w- was widely renowned as possessing one of the great chins of all time in the sport of boxing. And Jake Fercaro's taken more shots, uh, so that goes to show you. That unless unless these guys can figure out a way to to have him, uh, you know. And look, some some games he's going to take more shots than others. Yep. But if it's is easy as shutting down Jake Fercara when you shut Villanova down. Villanova's done. They're not going to win another game the rest of the year. No, they're you know, not. They're so not. they got to they make some adjustments. And I, I do think that that staff is one of the best staffs, at least from an offensive standpoint. Right. Uh, and I, I'm very confident that they'll figure it out after a really, really rough week. Rutgers, Hopkins, huge
0: big time game. Uh, Rutgers playing the complete game. 100% yeah. in the clear. Three of four and man up. Nine turnovers total in the entire game for them. Outgrown, outgrown balling Johns Hopkins. 59% in the cage. Probably could have done better at the faceoff off effects, but still not bad considering the talent that they were going up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really full effort uh, from Rutgers. Really impressive. What, your, what were your thoughts?
1: I was blown away by this. I would never have thought this was coming. Uh, you know, Hopkins had been playing you know, better, obviously they lost at UVA, but I just didn't see Rutgers being able to compete with them here. I think that Rutgers had beaten up on some softer teams with the exception of Army. uh, And I felt like Hopkins was coming into their own as a, you know, sort of returning into sort of a top eight team in the country. And this, this just blew me away. I would never have seen this come a huge win for Brian Brecht. Uh, and I'm glad to see, you know, him get it. You know, he's, he's, he's done a great job wherever he's been. You know, he did a great job building CNN 200 before he got Rutgers and, yep. you know, struggled through a 2-12 and 12 season, you know, a year ago or two years ago, whatever it was, and for him to come back and, you know, put to, together a product on the field that's, you know, had the success that they've had record-wise, but then to document it over a traditional powerhouse like Johns Hopkins at home with a record crowd in attendance and have it never be a contest. You know, Rutgers was up I think, you know, three two and then eight four and then all of a sudden before you knew it was fourteen to six. And it seemed like Rutgers got stronger as the game went on right and Hopkins faded off into the sunset. You know, you address the stat line, you know, but really what sticks out for me is, you know, 13 assisted goals out of 16 scored for Rutgers just reflects an unselfish team. And he's got some young players yep. outside of Scopieta, you know, who was three and three and 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 their stud offensive player. This is a young Rutgers team, and to be able to. You know, have that kind of team chemistry and, and have the stats reflect that is is really impressive. Three for four one man up, as you said. Hopkins was held to zero for three. The save percentage for Elaine almost sixty percent. Turnbull just forty three percent, and this is with Hopkins winning the faceoff battle. Right. So I think that this bode well. This bodes well for Rutgers. It puts Johns Hopkins in a real hole in the Big Ten. Although I still think that they're obviously going to qualify for the Big Ten tournament, which is what they need to do, and they need to win it like they did last year. And last year they did, and they ultimately went to the Final Four. So they're going to be back. The Hopkins staff will see to that. I don't doubt that, but this puts Rutgers in a great position going into you know the Big Ten schedule uh, throughout the rest of April. So what a win.
0: Yeah, Rutgers has Michigan, Maryland, PSU, and OSU in that order. Johns Hopkins has Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Maryland. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the Big Ten shakes out. Not an incredibly strong year for the Big Ten if you're looking at the league as a whole. Um, so a lot of opportunities. So I don't. I wouldn't count out any of the teams uh, in this league, and certainly Michigan being, you know, the worst, quote unquote, worst out of all of them. You know they're gonna they're gonna probably make an upset somewhere along the line. They almost did against Maryland, uh, but certainly they it. they they could easily beat any one of the teams on the schedule. So, heads up for the Big 10, but let's let's keep going with the Big 10 here. Let's go to the next one, Penn State Ohio State. This is probably one of the slowest and most deliberate games on the schedule. Both goalies played well for Ohio State and Penn State. Um, Tom Carrier 13 saves at 868%, Will Schreiner 15 for 75%. Uh, no clear dominant performance for either side. Uh, both both box scores were littered with players on the box score, you know, with an assist or a goal. Um, but what were your initial thoughts here, AT? Uh,
1: you know, it, it, I, I thought this, I thought both teams played incredibly hard and fast, but ironically in the very slowest game of all time. Right. Uh, you know, they, they they were sprinting all over the field from the defensive end to the offensive end, and then they get it down there and slow it down. (laughs) You know, but I I was just super, super impressed by how hard these players worked. And, you know, for Ohio State to come back, tie it, and then Penn State to win it, I don't know if you saw that shot, but that was a bomb into the corner, uh, you know, to, to win it, to beat Tom Carey, New Canaan kid. But both goalies played great. You know, the stat that sort of jumped out at me was that Penn State just had five turnovers, which is incredible. And and Ohio State had 10, twice as many. But, you know, it just, uh, you know, it was a very, very evenly played game. And, you know, somebody had to lose and Ohio State lost, but I, I think that was justifiably so. I thought Penn State was a half notch better. And Jeff Tambroni and his team have quietly won four of the last five games. You know, with UMasses, they're sort of lone loss in that streak. They're coming together at the right time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think that they're gonna they're gonna they're poised to make a run. They're a scary team to be playing in April. They are.
0: Uh, obviously, the Denver game uh, really propelled them forward as a team. And if Will Schreiner and we and we are me specifically uh, very down on goalie play for Michigan. Um, I mean, excuse me, uh, Penn State. If Will Schreiner can continue his performance, I, I just don't see. I I see Penn State, exactly what you said, being an incredibly scary team uh, going into it. And again, just emphasizes how spread out the Big Ten is this year. Uh, AT, I got a question for you. Does the Big Ten get a third team in the national tournament? I think they get at least one at large. But do they get a third team in the national
1: tournament? It's a great question. Uh, You know, clearly Maryland's going. There's no question about that. You know, we got to see what Hopkins does. Uh, I think they've got some great wins, considering that they've beaten Carolina, which becomes a better win after they beat Duke this weekend. Their Towson, I think, has one loss only, and that's to Hopkins. And I think they're ranked sixth in the country. Um, and they still have some opportunities to get a few more wins. Certainly the loss to Rutgers doesn't help, but I'm not positive that's a bad loss yet. Right. we got to see what happens there. So, um, you know, I could see. I can see definitely two and potentially three. You know what happens with with Penn State. You know if somebody's able to beat Maryland in the Big Ten tournament. Well, we know Maryland's going. Yep. And then there you get the AQ of winning that tournament. Yep. You know if that team is Rutgers or Penn State and Hopkins, you know can can beat them in the regular season. Obviously, they're not going to beat Rutgers, but uh, you know I, I think that there's still enough opportunities for the big 10 to potentially get three teams in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to find out certainly this weekend's games coming up, uh, you know, matter a ton. So we'll find out. So, uh, last game of the, of the, uh, rundown Richmond versus
0: UVA The biggest story of this one. Personally, I was at the game and I saw the whole thing. Uh, the first shutout of the season, I believe it's the first and only shutout of the 2016 season. um, UVA. Bottom line is, UVA didn't slide once. Um, Richmond, Richmond ending up uh, with Mitch Bol- Goldberg going out early in the game. That's a huge loss for Richmond. He's obviously huge loss. Obviously the clear uh, dominant perf- uh, performer for Richmond uh, over the last few years. Um, you know, out for the game for the with a knee injury. This is something to take a uh, continue to watch. Uh, is it a serious injury? We're not really sure yet.
1: But hope not. He's a, he's a stud. he is a
0: stud. But hopefully, um, hopefully that clears up. But in the end, you know Virginia just decided not to slide at all. Um, they got you know Barrett had a great game, um, and you know UVA, uh, you know with only nine goals. I mean they were patient. Uh, they got some good opportunities. I thought they could get some better opportunities. So still not really sure what UVA is made of but clearly on the other half they put together a great defensive game plan and certainly it was the right game plan uh, because it doesn't seem like very many teams will probably slide to richmond at all uh over the next couple games uh, especially as they go into their socon uh tournament schedule or excuse me their schedule socon league schedule
1: yeah i think that uh look one thing that we got to forget or that we that we forgot is that richmond has is a very very good defensive team so the fact that Virginia only put up nine goals. Uh, you know, I, I think that that is, uh, I'm not as concerned about that from Virginia's standpoint. You know, they beat them nine zip. So it's not like, you know, uh, they needed to go out and score a ton more goals to, to you know, be successful here. This is a great victory for Virginia. Obviously, Richmond's had a great season. They beat Duke, uh, they've had a, a their best season to date. Um, you know, and, and Virginia's, you know, they've won three in a row with Johns Hopkins, and then they beat VMI, and now they've beaten Richmond. VMI, you know, obviously it's not a great win, but, um, you know, I, I think that even though Virginia has won three in a row, they're still in the ACC baseball, yep. and they need to beat Carolina this weekend. Uh, and then they got Duke beyond that, and Duke has notoriously been a pain in Virginia's side for a long time, since John Donowski's been there. Yep. And so you, you you look at that, and you think Virginia's gonna have a really tough time beating Duke and and they gotta beat Carolina, but I just don't see them beating Carolina. Right. I really don't. Right. Um, you know, and, and then you look at the fact that Johns Hopkins got blown out by Rutgers this weekend, and then Penn losing a heartbreaker to Yale, and those are Virginia's wins, right. you know, Hopkins and Penn. So Hopkins and Penn losing this weekend just destroys Virginia's. Right. NCAA at-large berths, big time. Um, So we'll see what happens there. Again, you said 12 saves for Barrett. He seems to be playing better and better. You know, a noticeable stat for me was Richmond going 0 for 5 on the extra man. That hurts when you go when you score zero. Um, Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So good win for Virginia, but they're they're going to need to they're going to need more good wins if they hope to um, you know be in a position to secure an at-large the ncaa i just don't see it happening when we come back hashtag andy towers okay,
0: okay, okay. I won't lie, 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 lie. hashtag ask towers we've got a question from joe saletto i believe is one of your very very good friends need a role He's model, a role model. <laughs> So uh I've been told this story before. I kinda know I kind of know the story here, but um I've told everyone this story, and I think there are small subtleties of this story that may not be completely shared over the podcast. Um, but we'll we'll groom, yeah, it. We'll, we'll groom it. But the question is is um talk about this turtleneck sweater <laughs> that you <laughs> Put on at some point in the season, I believe, and and it wasn't phrased in the question, but I believe it was a Carolina blue turtleneck sweater. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it was baby blue. Baby blue. blue. Well, I right. So you, so so, <laughs> <laughs> so this the the story behind that was my my uh, freshman year. I got a baby blue turtleneck uh, for a Christmas present from one of my aunts or uncles and. I don't I don't wear (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not confident enough to wear baby blue number two (laughs) and so needless to say uh, that quickly became something that I wore under my pads (laughs) and that's going to be uh, the gray area to the story but uh, so I wore it every single day and never washed it ever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and basically what happened is we finished the season in May and I had worn it, you know, a hundred straight days for practice. Did Dom say and anything about this? Did Dom say anything? disgusting? No, he didn't know about it. It was, it was just disgusting. <laughs> and it was so disgusting. And it smelled disgusting. <laughs> and we had our last practice, you know, leading up to the Cornell game in that week at – in Providence, it was so hot. It was just like, you know, it was so hot, so humid. And I wore it under my pads. And <laughs> after practice was over, uh, you know, they had this, guys were taking showers, and they'd come in. And, and in order to get to the showers, you had to walk, you know, around this corner. And so basically what I did is, is I waited right behind the corner, and I took off my pads, but I was still wearing my, <laughs> my <terrible laughs> Thanks so bad. And as soon as guys would come out of the shower, I would give them a big hug and say, great practice. <laughs> and it would make me laugh. it make me laugh. And I did it to about five kids. And everybody you know, had a good sense of humor about it. And we had this goalie from Baltimore named Pat Flynn, who's now an NCAA official. And Pat was a tremendous goalie. and But in t- true Baltimore fashion, he was a very, very buttoned up young man. And I just came around the corner with his hair neatly combed and probably some cologne cold was all ready to go. And sure enough, I signed him up for a great <laughs> practice. <laughs> he didn't love oh. it. Uh and that's the that's the that's the PG version, <laughs> Ryan. We could if we look behind the if we if we looked behind the curtains, uh in that one it could get uh it could get really ugly. But <laughs> I'm looking forward to see Pat Flynn hopefully uh hopefully in 2 weeks at the at the uh Brown Yale game. They're celebrating their 1991 team. So hopefully we'll see them there and I can give him another big great.
0: <laughs> Maybe you could break out the uh light blue, baby blue turtleneck just for the just for the occasion. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh that's it for the show today. Uh Brown plays Bryant tonight. At Towers. is Bryant going to do it
1: again to a midweek Ivy League team or no? Uh I'm, I'm I'm not going to jinx Brown, so I'm going to say uh, Bryant's a very scary <laughs> opponent. Obviously, they uh, are going to be up for this game. I think the best thing that Brown has going for it in this game, aside from their team <laughs> and their coaching staff, is the fact that uh, Bryant did upset Harvard three weeks ago in a trap game after Harvard had beaten Duke. And I can be – I think it's safe to say that Lars Tiffany and his staff are going to make sure that they pound that fact into the heads of the team and that this Brown team is going to be ready to go. I just think that even with, you know, Bryant being a scary team to play and them being, you know, very, very up for this game as a, you know, cross-city rival, I just don't see – Bryant being able to control the faceoffs in this game like they did against Harvard in that game, and there is no stopping the Big Brown machine. So I uh, I think that Brown is going to take care of business, but certainly they're going to go into this game with a ton of respect for uh, Bryant because Bryant's proved many times that they you take them lightly and they're going to beat you. Period. And so um, I, I don't see that.
0: Yale plays Sacred Heart tonight. I think that's a one sided event. Tomorrow night, Q's plays Harbor, Hobart. Excuse me. That's it for the show today. Thank you for joining us. Check us out iTunes and check us out on Twitter at In Your Face Lacks. We'll be back next week with a recap of this weekend with our picks. Um, stay tuned for more. Maximize your comfort until then. Thank you.